Welcome to God is Open. I am your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we are going to be talking about the strange case of Abimelech. Abimelech is not who you're thinking of in uh, Genesis narratives where he's that king and and uh, who is it? Abraham lies to him about his wife and this this is not my wife. This is my sister. No, this is a different Abimelech. This is Abimelech that we find in the book of Judges, one of the sons of Gideon. Now, Gideon had 70 sons. Bravo. Good job. Very nice. Now, we find the story of Abimelech. We find his birth recorded in Judges 8. Now, Gideon has 70 sons of his own offspring, for he had many wives. But it says this, And his concubine, who was also in Shechem, also bore him a son, and he called his name Abimelech. So Abimelech was a son of a concubine, and Gideon had a bunch of other wives and a bunch of other children, 70 in all. And eventually this Abimelech, he grows up, and he starts this plot with the people of Israel in order to basically dispose of all of Gideon's sons, because Gideon was the judge of Israel. He led Israel out of... uh, out of oppression. And then what did Gideon do? He turns down the kingship. And so his sons are kind of, quote unquote, the rightful heirs of of the nation of Israel, the rightful people who people would look to to be the kings. So Abimelech wants them all killed. So he goes through this grand thing, getting together the people of Shechem. And their goal is to go and kill all 70 sons. They manage to kill all 70, except for one. One of them uh, escapes. And so there's an interesting curse that's levied against him as this last son escapes. And when it was told to Jotham, he went and stood on top of Mount Gerzim and cried aloud and said to them, Listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may listen to you. Now therefore, if you've acted in good faith and integrity when you made Abimelech king, and if you have dealt well with Jerubbabel and his house, now Jerubbabel was the father of Gideon, so this is Gideon's house he's referencing, and have done to him as his deeds deserved, for my father fought for you, risked his life, and delivered you from the hand of Midian. Skipping forward, if they then have acted in good faith and integrity with Jerubbabel and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech, and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come out of Abimelech and devour the leaders of Shechem and Beth Milo, which is a different town which seems to have joined in against uh, against the sons of Gideon and let fire come out of the leaders of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. That's the end of this curse. This is a curse. It does not invoke the name of Yahweh. It doesn't invoke the name of God. It seems to be just a, a general curse against Abimelech for wrongdoing. The curse is recorded in detail. And of course, God is subject to this curse. God is the enforcer of this curse. God is to right the wrongs if God is watching and if God is ruling the world. And if this curse is a valid curse, God's going to enforce it, which we actually see happen later in the story, which is very much interesting because God's name is not invoked as a party to this curse directly in the curse itself. If we skip down to verse 22, we're in Judges 9, of course. Abimelech ruled over Israel three years. So it's three years later that Yahweh acts. A lot of times in the Bible, you see curses, you see punishments that are are delayed. Sometimes decades, sometimes years. Sometimes the curses are instant. Sometimes it's uh, God just swallows them up alive right then and there. 
Um, but we also see these delays going on. So you have to wonder, it's not like the Calvinist idea that God's controlling everything where where you would expect that there's a direct consequence in action without delay. Instead, sometimes things take time. And it writes this, Abimelech ruled over Israel three years, and God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem, and the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. So God's part in this story is sending an evil spirit. He sends some sort of uh, angelic creature, perhaps, and this creature's job is to cause tension, to cause strife between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem. Remember, the curse was against Shechem, that fire is going to come from Abimelech and destroy the leaders of Shechem per the curse. This is the only part of the story where we see the text expressly having God as an active agent, that God's actually doing something. It, the mechanism is sending an agent to cause some sort of situation. This, this evil spirit, this angelic being, puts the tension between the leaders of Shechem and Abimelech, and they turn on him, and they start becoming bandits. And pretty soon, this uh, Gal, the son of Ebed, and his relatives move into Shechem, and uh, he basically starts a rebellion against Abimelech. Abimelech comes down, and attempts to crush them. Abimelech does succeed in crushing Gaul and uh, the rebellion. And the leaders of Shechem, they, they get uh, very worried about this. And then they all retreat into a tower. From there, Abimelech goes and he cuts down a tree. And him and all his men cut down trees and pile them around the tower of Shechem and burn everyone alive. Fire is coming out of Abimelech and consuming the leaders of Shechem per the curse. But then something interesting happens. The, the leaders of Shechem, the, there's, uh, there's consequences that are brought about upon them already. But Abimelech comes against a different tower, uh, which seems to, seems to have also been a city which tried to join the rebellion. And he tries to do the same thing. He tries to burn that as well. But there's a woman who throws down a millstone, cracks him in the head. And as he's dying, he has one of his men kill him. In this way, both Abimelech is repaid for his actions and the leaders of Shechem. They get their just desserts. The, the curse is fulfilled. The last three verses are very interesting here. It says, When the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, everyone departed to his home. Thus God returned the evil of Abimelech, which he committed against his father in killing his 70 brothers. And God also made all the evil of the men of Shechem return upon their heads and put upon them the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubbabel. The events that happened to Abimelech and the men of Shechem are all attributed to God. God's enforcing this curse. A mechanism is given an evil spirit which stirs up trouble. Which leads us to wonder, uh, to what extent are the events in the narrative driven by God or God's an active participant? Is he controlling everything? Did he control the millstone? Uh, if so, why the delay of three years? Why wasn't this instantaneous? Why wasn't a miracle action? Did the events just play out naturally per God's instigation? Is that the credit that God's getting for this? In what way is God the one returning the evil to Abimelech? In which, what way is he enforcing the curse? The text leaves us very few details. Um, the one detail it does leave us is the mechanism of the evil spirit, where God has to send an active agent to cause instigation between 
uh, different free will creatures, right? You're, you don't send uh, someone to cause instigation among creatures that you, you control meticulously. I'm sure that if Chris Date's book comes out about Old Testament proofs of, of Calvinistic sovereignty, he'll probably mention this instant and think that it's an example of God controlling all things, when in reality, this is evidence against that, where God has to use active means in order to get his will accomplished working in the confines of free agents. You see delays in justice. You see delays in implementation of curses. You see individuals having to be manipulated, to be convinced to do things. You see free agents involved in this uh, interplay. And God, as an active agent, intervening in the course of human events to get his will done, enforcing a curse that God himself does not give. God, of course, in the Old Testament, especially in the New Testament as well, is an enforcer of oaths. God sees an oath. God is the one responsible for enforcing it. That's why the Bible says that you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. You don't make oaths on God's name because God is expected to enforce those oaths. God also in the Bible is an enforcer of curses, especially when the curse is, is a godly curse. It's a curse where the people get their just desserts, where where justice is being served. It might be delayed justice, but it's justice nonetheless. There are certain details of this curse which do get fulfilled, and there are certain details that don't quite get fulfilled. Uh, the question is, to what extent is this curse supposed to be indicative of what actually does happen? The verse 20 says, But if not, let fire come out of Abimelech and devour the leaders of Shechem. Well, yeah, they all burned to death, and that was per Abimelech. And Beth Milo. I don't know if they ever got uh, burned to death. And let fire come out of the leaders of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. Abimelech, of course, was killed by a sword after a millstone struck him in the head. He wasn't burned. Uh, so in what extent is uh, the fire necessary to the story? It might be pointed at, out as a detail that comes true per the curse, which is highly coincidental. But the whole curse itself doesn't happen in a fire method. It's not like Abimelech himself dies by a fire coming out of Shechem and Beth Milo. It is the millstone striking. So the fire to me seems coincidental, but it does seem like just desserts. God might have been involved in giving him the idea to burn these people to death. That might uh, be what God saw as a justice being served. It might be Abimelech's own idea. Uh, the curse itself can be fulfilled with or without the fire. It's fairly irrelevant to the overall story. Anyways, to make a long story short, this example of the story of Abimelech in Judges is an interesting case where God is an enforcer of oaths. God is not specifically called upon to be the enforcer of oaths, but God takes it upon himself to enforce the oath. He does so through uh, intercessoraries, people or spirits that he sends to do his will to cause events to happen. Delayed justice is a theme in this, as we see throughout the Bible. And it looks like God has to convince free will agents in order to uh, manipulate events to where he wants them to go. In all of this, God is the active agent, uh, probably much like the example of Pharaoh. Who hardens Pharaoh's heart? Well, God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Uh, Pharaoh hardens his own heart. And Pharaoh's advisors harden his heart. In what way? Is it, is it all equivalent? Are they all hardening Pharaoh's heart in the exact same way? Or is uh, it attributed to God because he's an active agent, which is manipulating events to get this to happen, although Pharaoh's the primary cause? 
Uh, it's not explicit necessarily in the text. You could read into the text. And if you read into the mechanism, especially in this example of Abimelech, it seems like the way that God was the, the enforcer of this curse was through that spirit that he sent to act on his behalf. Anyways, questions, comments, I uh, just thought these stories from, from Judges, they're, they're quite interesting. Judges is a very good book to read through.